My name is Leah Tarragon-Zeller. I'm a research fellow at Wolf, and I volunteer for Nisa Nashim, one of the biggest interfaith networks for Jewish and Muslim women in Europe. Today at the Nisa Nashim conference, Jewish and Muslim women have come together from around the UK to discuss their shared and common everyday experiences. Among the events today, we featured a panel on head covering, chaired by Professor Raina Lewis. Hello, I'm Rena Lewis. I'm Professor of Cultural Studies at London College of Fashion, UAL, and I'm author of Muslim Fashion Contemporary Style Cultures. I was chairing the session today, so I began with a little sketch of my research, looking at modest fashion among Jewish, Christian, and Muslim women. And I introduced the idea that I think that through their activities in modest fashion, both as commentary and as commerce, women are creating new forms of religious practice and new forms of religious knowledge which are being transmitted in interesting and new ways through the mechanisms of fashion on and offline. I was talking about modest fashion, by which I mean the many different ways in which women interpret religious sources and community conventions which pertain to the presentation of the body in public and in particular spaces. And for me, what's very important is to make clear that modest fashion is achieved by women in different ways and that interpretations about modesty change around the world, across time, and will also change across the span of a single individual's lifetime, depending on their changing life circumstances and their changing spiritual and religious and political convictions. We've seen an explosion of modest fashion in the last few years. If you did a Google search for this term 10 or 12 years ago, nothing would come up. If you do it now, it will take you straight to the fashion pages. This is because since 2007-2008, a niche market has developed led by women designers and creative entrepreneurs from within religious communities who have been making and selling the clothes that they wanted or wanted for their daughters. And this has also been a cross-faith phenomenon, as indeed has the modest fashion blogosphere and social media. What is different now is that the mainstream market is waking up to this, and this, as came up very clearly in our conversation today, is driven by a profit motive because there is money to be made in meeting the needs of these diverse consumers. Today's panel discussion was fantastic and original because this wonderful conference has brought together women from many different elements of Jewish and Muslim communities with many different political and religious views and created an atmosphere of trust and dialogue in which women were able to speak really freely about both their own experiences and their concerns. And these concerns run deep. This is a difficult topic and we did some really difficult talking. So Raina's guests on the panel today brought a range of life experiences, positions, and interests to the table. Hi, I'm Lindsay Simmons. I am the Jewish Scholar in Residence at CCJ. I'm a lecturer at LSJS, and I'm a PhD student here at the LSE's Gender Institute. I, too, was not brought up in a religious family, but became a practicing Orthodox Jew during my teenage years and later in life. And as such, I deferred to the religious texts, and especially the religious legal texts, and made a decision that when I got married, I would want to cover my hair, as is what I felt was the requirement. But as a secondary issue, I certainly, as a person, who teaches Torah, that is Jewish studies within the community, that's part of my remit, and also served in a community. Uh, My husband was a rabbi for several years. Both of those experiences, I felt, 
meant that my covering of my hair was representative, part of the package, as it were, as a very specific cultural norm, certainly here in the United Kingdom within the Orthodox community. And as such, I felt obligated, as it were, socially, politically, to also engage in head covering. Having said that, I do want to say that my head covering has changed over the years. So I've been covering my hair for 25 years now. And at certain points during that experience, I did wear a shaitel, a wig. At certain points during that experience, I covered all of my hair so that not only my head, as it were, was covered with a symbol of being married, but also all my hair was covered. And now at 47, I'm comfortable with the way in which I cover my hair. So for your podcast listeners who can't see me, I do have a hat on and it covers my head and it covers most of my hair, but I'm not particular that all my hair is stuffed in under my hat, which is a very reasonable and well-done documented legal position which I am now more comfortable with. My name's Liz Arifir, I'm a writer and human rights campaigner. I run a human rights blog called Voice of Salam and I campaign for a range of organisations including Three Face Forum, She Speaks We Here and Amnesty International. In the workshop today I gave an account of my own personal experience converting to Islam and how that involved starting to wear the hijab as a separate stage of my conversion process given the public demonstration of faith embodied with that. I talked about how I believe it's a commandment to cover everything including my hair and head and talked about my experience just from a human perspective learning and growing and growing in confidence and wearing that. I converted to Islam about six years ago and with that was the decision to cover my hair. From the beginning that was a decision but what took time was the process of actually covering my hair because of all the elements that are involved in that and sort of self-confidence and also the community aspect of once you you are covering your hair you're very publicly declaring yourself Muslim but converting is in itself a very sort of private intimate decision. So I I became Muslim and I started practicing and then later on I started wearing a headscarf having already converted to wearing loose longer clothing just not the head covering as the last sort of visible sign and really I just wanted to emphasize how that was my choice and it was a very personal journey and that that came in stages. Hello my name is Rabia Mirza and I'm the director of media engagement and lobbying for British Muslims for Secular Democracy and I made the secular case for Muslim women not choosing to wear the hijab, but also the secular case, women choosing to wear the hijab. Well, I was never really brought up with a head covering unless it was for particular religious circumstances like reading the Quran or on the odd occasion that I did pray for, say, Ramadan. But personally, I don't necessarily think it's the right choice for me and I appreciate that we live in a society that I have the freedom to choose, which is the important thing here because I'm a staunch secularist and I think secularism must encompass the right of women to choose what they ought to wear whether you like it or not. Although none of my family members wear the headscarf, I come from a Pakistani background and traditionally uh, the head covering for Pakistani women was a dubadda, which is a loose scarf around the head, which does show a bit of hair. Um, but now I feel as though head coverings are becoming homogenised. We are seeing Arab culture being homogenised, which is... You could see it as a good thing or a bad thing, but post 9-11 religious identity, you were forced to deal with it. You were forced to deal with your own religious identity, whether you were super religious or not very religious at all. For me, I think that the 
women ought to choose what they want to wear, regardless of what it is, regardless of what the influence is, if it's 100% their choice. Nisa Nashim is Hebrew and Arabic for woman. Nisa is Arabic, Nashim is Hebrew. And this organization is a special, unique Jewish-Muslim female network in which female groups, 28 counting but growing at this moment, all over the UK come together. Each group has a co-chair, Jewish and Muslim, and they meet, they do social action together, they do cooking together, they learn religious texts together. Each group decides what they do, but the most important thing is that they get to know each other. And even though they come from very different backgrounds, they come together because they share. If you had been in the room today, you would have seen panel members who cover their hair and who don't. You would have seen audience members who cover their hair and who don't, and who do it in different ways. And what we also heard from audience members was that hair covering is a very personal decision that women make for a whole variety of reasons, and that that is also historically specific. 9-11, for example, in 2001, had a big impact on how Muslims in Britain experienced themselves and felt themselves to be regarded by others in wider society. Also, women who had or had family members who had started covering and stopped covering or started covering again. So... There are very, very many differences in the way that this is achieved by women in their lives. And what was interesting as well that came up in the conversation was how, for some conservative elements within some religious populations, the historical record itself gets altered so that the way that women dressed in the past is reframed. Having these sorts of conversations is essential to building understanding because women need to have a safe space to come together and deal with some really difficult and sensitive issues with co-religionists as well as with women from other religions. And that's why I am impressed and in awe of the sort of interfaith work that these women are doing in this organization and the many other organizations that so many of the participants are also involved in. It's absolutely essential. And personally, what I think is important politically is that when governments, when funding organizations, when community organizations, when the security forces are looking for so-called community representatives, they start to recognize women as leaders and these women as leaders, not just the most conservative either. It's very easy to always defer to the most conservative and think they speak for an entire community. What we saw today was that is never the case. While the three panelists came from very different backgrounds, they all emphasized the same point when it comes to head coverings, the importance of free choice. Well, I would certainly say that it seems to me that the women that I was co-panelist with make decisions for themselves. I know that that is my personal uh, research interest, but it seems to me that when we think about patriarchal norms or we think about women being pressured, coerced into behaving in certain ways, certainly these women uh, this afternoon were evidence to me that women make decisions on their own for the reasons that they've expressed and will express, both religious, political, social and cultural, but they are definitely their own decisions. I think the main theme from today is really about women's agency and women's choice, the choice to cover or the choice to not cover and about respecting those decisions either way. I think that's the the main thing that we came away with.
no one has ever really forced me to do that. I've never experienced that. Luckily, I understand that that is a privilege of mine. But also, if I if I wanted to choose to wear it now, I don't I don't think there would be a lot of pushback against that. You know, we, we must respect the freedom to choose that. But there are families out there who are against their daughters wearing a headscarf because they don't necessarily... It's a big change. They don't necessarily agree with their reasons for wearing it. They may think it's a phase. And I actually have experienced that in some cases as well. It's been a lovely day here and it's been a wonderful panel. I helped put together this panel and I could not have been happier with how beautifully people spoke about their choices and about their journeys. And what is unique about the conversation today is that A was chaired with a wonderful person who knows exactly what's going on in this field, but more so, we really got to hear the discussion between the panelists and between the audience that we can't see during this kind of podcast. But it's very, very unique because usually the Jewish conversation is a Jewish conversation and the Muslim conversation is a Muslim one. And here you get the varieties within each groups coming together and discussing many, many, many shared things, which is one of the things I am very interested in studying. So for me, it was really beautiful. So that's all from the special panel of head covering at Nisa Nashim Conference in London. This has been a podcast from the Wolf Institute, studying encounters between Jews, Christians, and Muslims, both historical and contemporary, to understand how to foster better relations between religions. For more information, please see our website, wolf.ac.cam.uk.